Hi, friends. This is Pastor Dan Jackson. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Jacobswell Church. My hope and prayer is that this message will be a blessing to you and lead you into worshiping and enjoying our great and gracious God. With that said, let me encourage you to use this message as a supplement to and not a replacement of a local church. Christ did not establish his church simply for us to consume messages, but so that we could be intimately invested in each other's lives as an authentic covenant community. Again, thank you for listening. And if you want more information about Jacobswell Church, please visit our website at www.jacobswellgb.org. All right, we're in James 1, 19 to 21. It reads, Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness that God, uh, the righteousness of God. Therefore, Put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Let's pray. Lord, we come to a passage like this in James and uh, we recognize right away that it doesn't describe us. Lord, we are not quick to hear. We are not slow to speak. We are not slow to anger. We pray this morning that you would give us soft hearts hearts to hear uh, what uh, your word has to say to us today. Give us humble spirits, Lord, and we pray that you would use your word to implant meekness in us so that we could receive it in a fitting way, God, uh, in the way that you, you would have us receive it. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. What are your pet peeves? What in this world drives you nuts? When people tell you all about their diet while you're eating something unhealthy. When someone uh, keeps asking questions during your favorite movie. When someone says, you, to food on your plate. When people say literally, when what they mean is not literal. When people blast their music on the beach, subjecting everyone around them to their terrible taste in music. When you lose something and someone says, oh, where was the last place you put it? When people reply to all, asking to be removed from an email thread. In today's passage, James lays before us two ways of life, the way of anger and the way of meekness, the way of wor the world and the way of Christ. Our problem, of course, is that our lives are filled with pet peeves, with impatience, frustrations. The way of anger is our default setting. And even for those of us who say that we're even-tempered, we have to admit that we like to get things our way. We build our kingdoms according to our rules, and when people violate the rules of our kingdom, we get flustered, impatient, and angry. 
I'll admit that one of the, one of the rules for my personal kingdom, it was on that list. It's don't blast your music on the beach and subject me to your terrible music. Don't ruin my beach day. I came to the beach to relax, not to be tortured by the Macarena. <laughs> I don't know if people play that anymore, but... Of all the possible human emotions, I think that James warns us today that the anger of man cries the loudest, my will, my way, my beach day. The alternative to this is the way of meekness, the way of Christ. And Christians are called to the plans and the purposes of another. We are called to forsake our own kingdoms and embrace the kingdom of another. While the anger of man cries into the, the abyss, my will, my way, God-given meekness says to God, your will, your way. The way of meekness, the way of Christ, is a continual process of dying to ourselves. It is hard, it is, it is painful, but it is also good. It is also beautiful. I would like to work through our passage this morning by asking three questions. The first is, what is so wrong about our anger? The second is, what is so right about God's anger? And lastly, how does God use meekness to redeem our anger? Let's begin with the first. What is so wrong about our anger? Well, James fires off this little section with three quick commands. Be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. And their meaning is pretty clear, I think. It's saying is saying, listen, listen carefully. Don't be reckless with your words and with your anger. And then in verse 20, he gives a very clear reason for this command, where he says, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Now, the righteousness of God here is... It's not, this, it's not quite the same as that free gift of righteousness that we often find in Paul. The way that James uses it is that it is that standard that, of life that God calls us to. It is that standard that God wants our lives to be characterized by. So really, it's, it's a kind of holiness, a kind of holy living, an other kind of living. And what I want us to focus on here in these underlying verses is this anger because uncontrolled anger blocks our ears and lets loose our tongue and causes us to fall short of this standard that God calls us to. So now if we go but all the way back to the garden and to our design as human beings, we find that anger is its, in itself is God-given. The capacity of anger is actually built into our design. It's built into us by God. If you asked neurologists and psychologists, they would tell you that it's actually part of our anatomy in the brain. Anger is built into our brain's defensive warning system and is activated when the amygdala interprets a threat as deserving of a psychologically aroused response. Okay, so that's the textbook definition. What that means is that when we perceive a threat in the world, our brain kind of lights up and we get angry. 
So the possibility of anger is written into the very fabric of creation. But where did things go wrong? Well, one theologian, I think, summarizes it very nicely when he says the following. God has provided us with anger as something to be turned against the serpent, but we have turned it against our neighbor. Say that again. God has provided us with anger as something to be turned against the serpent, but we have turned it against our neighbor. Anger, our anger, the anger of man, is misdirected. Our wrongful anger is connected to our misdirected loves and misdirected wills. We become angry when something we love is threatened. We become angry when we feel like our will is violated. Even though we would like to say that we love selflessly and that we will the good of others, uh, we tend to love that which serves our own self-interest. We tend to love our own way and our own will. And when that which serves our own self-interest is threatened, we become angry and that we turn that anger against our neighbor. This is our general default setting. In a sense then, Anger is always in the service of love. And our wrong anger is always in the service of our wrong love. We love the wrong things. Our natural love is a selfish love. We love ourselves most of all. And uh, we love getting our own way. We, we typically don't listen to one another. We often talk past one another. When, uh, when people aren't picking up what we're laying down, when we can't bring them around to our perspective, we get angry, oftentimes quickly. So what is so wrong with the anger of man? Well, in a word, it's oriented around us. It defends our love. It defends our wills. Therefore, if we were to begin uh, dealing with this wrongful anger, I would say probably a good place to begin is to begin by being oriented around another. This painful process of being oriented around another and dying to self is what we call sanctification. It is painful. Um, it's not called dying to self for no reason. It's supposed to hurt. It's, you're supposed to wrestle with it. And... Uh, all of us are called to this. Speaking of dying to self, by far the most sanctifying time in my life has been, let's count, the last 258 days, nine hours and seven minutes. And it's kind of specific, you will say. Well, that's specifically how long my little boy has been alive. I love Harrison. He's precious to me. Um, I love him more than I can say. But I also hate dying to myself more than I can say. I want my will, my way. But I also love him and want him to stay alive and have a good life. So I wrestle. I wrestle with being oriented around myself and being oriented around him, serving my interests and serving his interests. Wrestle, 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 wrestle. And I think that this wrestling, this dying to ourselves, this becoming oriented around another, 
when we wrestle, when it hurts, it means that we're doing something right. Now, in the same way, when we become oriented around God, we need to wrestle with this painful process. So how can we apply this to our relationship with God? How can we begin by becoming less oriented around ourselves and more oriented around Him and His will? How do we begin from going from our wrongful anger to His right anger? Well, I don't have the whole answer. Um, No one's perfect, but I, I do think that I have a good place to start. And I'd recommend us beginning by asking a simple question to help us decide whose will is being violated, our will or God's will? I think that this question really helps us wrestle with becoming oriented around God, his will, his way. And I'll admit that the the answer to this question, whose will is being violated, ours or God's, is not always clear. Sometimes it's clear, sometimes it's gray, very gray. But we still need to wrestle with this question, and I'll give you two examples. A clear example, I would think, is that uh, some of you may have heard of the Equality Act that the current administration is hoping to pass. Unfortunately, this is bad news for people who hold to a traditional biblical view of marriage and human sexuality. At the federal level, uh, this, ex- uh, this act um, pretty much makes these views illegal, and um, there are no religious exemptions for churches or faith-based organizations. Now, we're not going to get into it, but God's will concerning human sexuality and marriage is very, very clear in Scripture. So, if we become angry at an equality act that contradicts God's clearly revealed will in this area, this is the right kind of anger because God's will is clearly the one being violated. But let's try a more controversial example, something that might be a little bit more gray. Uh, A week ago, a little bit over a week ago, the Wisconsin Senate struck down the mask mandate, right? But then, an hour later, the governor turned around and issued a new one. If you were like me, and you were among those who got angry at this, let's wrestle with this question. Whose will is being violated? Our will or God's will? Something to consider, I suppose, but this is what I want us to take away here, is that when things are unclear, when things are gray, this question that we wrestle with should hurt. It should be painful to us. If dying to yourself doesn't feel like dying, if sanctification isn't painful, if you're not wrestling off your will and wrestling on God's will, then you're not doing it right. Well, let's consider the next question. What is so right about God's anger? Well, it's important to notice in verse 19 that James doesn't say, don't be angry. He doesn't make that kind of statement. Instead, he says, be slow to anger. 
Now, this little phrase, slow to anger, is very, very significant because it's used all over Scripture to describe God. And by far the most important place that it is used is also the first place that it is used, and that's in Exodus 34, where God uses this little phrase to describe his essential attributes, his character, his personality. But before we get there, let's get into Moses' shoes for a bit, all right? So I want you to use your imagination. So imagine for a little bit that you are Moses. Not so long ago, you were assigned by God to lead his people out of slavery. Um, if you had it your way, you wouldn't take this job, right? You're uncertain about your abilities as a leader, and you tried your best to get out of this job, but uh, God wouldn't have it. He's chosen you to lead his people. Uh, it just so happens that God's people are also a horde of hooligans. They're, they're just like you. They're only happy when they get things their way. Uh, they, they grumble against you continually when they get hungry until God rains bread from heaven. They, when they get thirsty, they quarrel with you continually until God brings water from a rock. They bother you all the time. You've spent entire days from morning till evening hearing and resolving their petty disputes. More recently, you've uh, been on a mountain with God for 40 days and 40 nights where he has been giving you his law to bring his rule and his order to you and to the rest of this miserable bunch called the people of God. When you come down from the mountain, well, you know how the story goes. The same horde of hooligans are singing and dancing around a golden calf. You're tired, you're frustrated, and you are livid. And this is only the beginning of your days as their leader. But then you ask God to show you his glory. You need to be reminded why all of this frustration is worth it. You need to know who God is. You need to know him more. You need to know him more intimately and closer. God says, okay, Moses, he will give you what you need. He'll give you more of himself. So God graciously hides you in the cleft of the rock, graciously covers you with his hand, and then declares these words that will be up on the screen. These are remarkable words. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children, to the third and fourth generation. In this self-declaration about his essential attributes, we see what is so right about God's anger. First, his slowness to anger is couched within the attributes that surround it. It's, it's couched within his mercy, grace, love, faithfulness, justice. 
Second, we note that God's anger is not opposed to these things, but an expression of them. His anger is an expression of love, grace, faithfulness, justice. And lastly, we see that God's anger is directed at sin. He will by no means clear the guilty. This is the very uh, prominent background in the mind of James and in the mind of his Jewish first generation Christians. So in a way, when James says, be slow to anger, he's also saying, be angry like God is angry. When just like with our anger, anger is always in the service of love, the same thing is true for God. His anger is always in the service of his perfect love. Because God loves his creation so much, his anger burns against that which threatens what he loves. So God is angry at sin. It is no surprise then that in almost the very next verse when we go jump back to James in verse 21, James says, therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. James says that right anger needs to be, begin with our sin. He says, be angry like God is angry. Be angry at your sin. We need to see, what, uh, we need to see our sin for what it is. Filthiness and rampant wickedness. What a description. Think about this. The, that secret sin that you are coddling, nurturing, feeding, Loving. James calls here filthiness and rampant wickedness. And when he says that we need to put off and put away <clears throat> all filthiness and rampant wickedness, the image here is of stripping off clothing in disgust, stripping off dirty clothing that has stains on it. Now, I said before. <clears throat> that when Harrison was born, my true sanctification began. Well, not so long after he was born, I also learned a new word. It was a horrifying word, a dirty word, if you will, a word reeking of filthiness and rampant wickedness. The word was blowout. Parents will know exactly what I'm speaking about. When babies have blowouts, it's the worst. The only thing worse than a baby having a blowout is a baby having a blowout on me. Trust me, when that happens, I'm not ignoring the blowout, right? I'm not just, I'm not finishing one more episode of Frasier. I'm like, I'm springing to action. I'm blowout on me. Oh, I see it for the filthiness and rampant wickedness that it is. And I strip off my clothes until I'm rid of its filth. Friends, this ought to be a picture of our sin. It is filthiness and rampant wickedness. We must ask God to be gracious to us and to give us this kind of clarity about our own sin. To see it for what it is to get angry at its filth, to spring into action and throw it off like disgusting, blowout-stained clothing. As you can imagine, this is active. 
It's not passive. And unfortunately, uh, like blowouts, sin happens again and again and again. And we're called to throw it off, throw off that sin-stained clothing again and again and again. It's part of what it means to die to yourself, to let go of that thing that you are nurturing and feeding, that you know that God is displeased with. It's, this is part of what it means to become oriented around the will of another. <clears throat> if it were up to our fallen wills alone, we would wallow in our blowout, sin-stained clothing all day. But we are called to the will of another. And it is by the power of his Holy Spirit that he enables us to actively shed ourselves of this clothing that he calls filthiness, rampant wickedness, and sin. What is so wrong about our anger? It is oriented around ourselves. It serves our misdirected wills. It serves our misdirected love. What is so right about God's anger? It, act, it is actively directed toward that which opposes his will and threatens the things he loves. God's anger is directed at sin, and today James is saying our, our, that anger needs to be, begin with us by being directed at our own sin. Well, what about the third question? How does God use meekness to redeem our anger? Well, the use of these two words, the anger of man, or phrase, anger of man, and then meekness, just one verse after, the, the contrast is very, very stark. You see, the anger of man doesn't produce that righteousness that God requires, but meekness does. Unlike the anger of man, wrong anger, God-given meekness is a beautiful thing. It is defined here, listen to some of these definitions of meekness. Self-subduing gentleness. A mind disposed to learn without disputing. Trusting receptivity. Is this how you approach and apply God's word in your life? Do you read and apply God's word in a spirit of self-subduing gentleness? Do you read and apply God's word with a mind disposed to learn without disputing? Do you read and apply God's word with trusting receptivity, trusting that God is good and that he seeks your good? In a word, meekness is absolutely incompatible with anger. It is for this reason that meekness is the antidote for our wrong anger. Like a great doctor, God always knows just what we need to cure our ailments, and he knows that wrong anger ails us all. It is our default setting. So God gives to us meekness. He always gives what he requires. He doesn't just command us to be meek, he actually produces it in us. To see that, let's, let's go back to the text here. 
in verse 21 again, it ends with James saying, receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Well, the word here, this implanted word is the gospel that God plants in us like a seed. So James is using a farming analogy, an agricultural analogy. Meekness then, receive with meekness, is like the fertile soil that receives that implanted word. But this is important. This meekness that receives the word is not cultivated on our own. The implanted word actually produces the meekness that receives it. And why do I say this? Because we won't, uh, you, you, we won't have time to jump over there, but if you want to make a note, in Galatians 5, in the fruit of the Spirit, meekness actually features there. What is it? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Gentleness, that word that is often translated gentleness in the list of the fruits of the Spirit is the same word that is translated meekness here. So meekness or this gentleness is like the soil that receives the word, but it is also the fruit which the word produces. God always provides what he requires. The way of meekness is not something that we just drum up in our own strength. The influence of God's word produces this new kind of behavior in us, this new way of living, the way of meekness. Let me end with this. Back in 2014, while Lisa and I were still living in South Africa, I surprised her with a vacation to celebrate our one-year anniversary. It was a vacation to the ocean, a beautiful, rugged, isolated place called Coffee Bay in a region in South Africa called the Wild Coast. Sounds exotic, right? I actually have photos of it here. It is a beautiful, rugged, and isolated place. Anyway, as the story goes, these were the days before we had GPS on our phones. And not thinking very much about it, I can be quite, uh, uh, I don't think a lot, right? So I just kind of jump into things. Um, (laughs) I logged into Google Maps, typed in our home address, typed in the accommodation in, uh, in Coffee Bay, hit the print button, stapled the stack of pages together, jumped in the car, and off we went. Okay, I think you know where this is going. It was a 13 hour road trip. The directions were pretty standard, most of the way down with clearly labeled streets and highways, but as we drove along several hours into our trip, I happened to flip through the stack of pages, and it was only then that I noticed that the last three or four pages, in the last three or four pages, the directions started becoming very vague. Street names disappeared. It was just distances and arrows. It said things like, at 11 kilometers, continue straight. At three kilometers, take a slight right. In two kilometers, turn left. In one kilometer, right. In another three kilometers, lean right. (laughs) 
It was like this for three or four pages. It was like this for about 80 kilometers. Uh, no street signs, no signposts, nothing. Just distances and arrows. It's pretty crazy. What ended up happening is that these directions took us on some extremely narrow and windy and treacherous dirt roads in this area, in the wild coast. The dirt roads wound endlessly over hills and down into valleys, skirted cliffs, crossed streams with makeshift bridges, and all this while we're dodging potholes the sizes, like the sizes of uh, craters, right? Uh, really, really bad roads. And you think like, oh wow, this is Africa. You were probably in some kind of like 4x4 Jeep Wrangler, and uh, unfortunately not. We were in a tiny Chevy Avio, which is like a little five-door hatchback, tiny little car. Needless to say, there were many, many times in these back roads that we were scared. There were many times when we looked over at each other with that expression like, uh, this is it. I think this is where we die. <laughs> and we'd only been married a year. It was quite sad, actually. <laughs> anyway, the way of meekness is like those narrow dirt roads of the wild coast that wind down to Coffee Bay. The way of meekness is treacherous, but it leads to a beautiful place. The way of meekness is difficult. It decimates your own kingdom. It is scary because it means dying to our wills, our way, and following after Christ. Ultimately, the way God redeems our, our anger, our wrong anger with meekness, is in Christ. It is always ultimately in Christ. Everything always comes back to him. You see, Christ is meekness incarnate, who took the way of meekness, which led to his suffering and death on the cross, to satisfy God's right anger at our sin. The way of meekness is the way of Christ and he beckons us to follow. He beckons us to lay aside our sin. He beckons us to lay aside our wrong anger that clamors for our will, our way. He beckons us to direct God's right anger at sin and to begin with our sin. He implants his gospel word like a seed in us to produce the meekness that subdues our wrong anger so that we no longer say, my will, my way, but are renewed and enabled to say to God, your will, your way. Would you pray with me? <clears throat> our Lord, our Lord, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. God, uh, we are uh, so sorry for our wrong anger, God. We pray that you would be gracious to us, that you would be merciful, that you would help us get a, a clear picture 
of our own sin, that you would enable us to turn your right anger against that sin. God, thank you for giving us your word. Thank you that it's up to you and not us, that you create that meekness. Christ, that you were meekness incarnate, that you went before, that you satisfied God's right anger on our behalf. Lord, as we go into the week, help us to lay aside our wills and our way. Help us uh, to echo that prayer that you taught us. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.